Birds flying high You know how I feel Sun in the sky You know how I feel Breeze drifting on by You know how I feel It's a new dawn It's a new day It's a new life For me And I'm feeling good I'm feeling good Hello and welcome back to the Loyal Sons Podcast presented by Cable Faithful. That's at Cable Faithful on Twitter. Follow us there and follow us here for pit sports content you won't want to miss. If you love Kenny Pickett and think Dabo Swinney is the ghost of a slain Confederate general, this is the place for you. The Loyal Sons Podcast. A safe, sunshiny place for your pit athletics fix. Today is Thursday, October 28th, and... Holy shit, are we really doing this? That just happened. We're really doing this. I'm speechless. We're we're a real football team. We're a real boy. I think in the second quarter at some point of the game, I just turned to you guys and said, all right, I think we're just a really good football team. So I'm, I'm here with uh, my co-hosts Dylan and Squid, and uh, as, as you can tell, we're a little bit beside ourselves, not in the bad way, in the, in the good way. Uh, Pitt just won comfortably against the Clemson Tigers. Penn State lost in nine overtimes. I, I believe that would be like non-tuple, non-tagonal overtime. I'm not really sure, but they lost. And then Pitt today picked up a big recruit. We're just kind of floating on cloud nine right now. What are your guys' uh, thoughts on Pitt's big bad weekend? Well, first off, Heinz Field was absolutely electric, and that's all I've really wanted out of this season for a long time was just a big game with a rocking crowd. Um, Not a sellout, not quite a sellout, but 60,000 fans there. Um, The North Shore was buzzing all day. Great tailgate, great just game day experience. A bunch of fans who were into the game, passionate about the game, and it was just a glorious day to be a Panther. The biggest thing for me was the team lived up to the hype around the game. There were a lot of times in the past we got all hyped up, we got our hopes up, but the team falls flat. That was not what happened. It was the complete opposite. This blew our expectations out of the water and went about as good as we could have possibly expected. And I think this is how we know. This is the official sign. Knock on wood that this is a different team than we've seen in years past. Because how many times would other pit teams just get clobbered in this game? Yeah, I, I think that was the big fear just leading up to it in the back of our minds. Just, are they going to pit? Are they going to pull a pit? Are they going to come out and lay an egg? Not even just leading up to it. Like in the first quarter, people are turning to each other thinking, uh-oh, this is going to be a long game. We can't do anything. We're fumbling. We 
can't get going on offense. Well, frankly, I think we've started every game this year that way, and we're going to get into that more. That's just kind of been a recurring theme. Uh, but that was just an all-around solid performance from Pitt. Defense looked great. Passing attack, as always, led by Kenny Pickett, looked great. Uh, rushing attack looked great. Uh, just a, a start-to-finish performance by this Pitt team against a Clemson team that, despite having a down year, is still, you know, one of the tougher teams in the ACC and certainly one of the better defensive units in the country. What did you guys see on the offensive side of the ball that was able to overcome that? Yeah, I think the the really promising thing to me was um, the offensive line just played unbelievable. And, you know, they've been playing really good for a few weeks now, but the fact that that big, talented Clemson defensive front didn't really give them much problems. And to be quite frank, Pitt probably got the better of them up front. Um, That was one thing I was worried about. And it really shows me that that unit has really shored things up. And that was probably, you know, the biggest question mark coming into the season offensively was that offensive line. And they're starting to look like a strong point of this team. That's what I was going to say too, Dylan. Pitt won the battle in the trenches against Clemson. (laughs) <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> because they did. Offense, we rushed the ball better than we have. Better than we have, you know, generally, especially against Clemson. Yeah. Um, a lot better than what we'd have expected going into it. Like, I would have taken, like, 100 yards on the ground total. Like, absolutely, and take that. But we just kind of marched up the field, and we had that last drive that lasted eight minutes, and we just pounded the rock with Rodney Hammond and Vincent Davis, and Clemson could not stop us. You remember the ACC championship, how, unfortunately, our king, Kenny Pickett, only threw for about eight yards that game, but, I mean, it was it was like watching a, a kid running for his life, like even a, a last bad year, high school team. Even last year, given we had some guys out with COVID, but Pickett was under duress the entire game. This game, I saw a stat that the offensive line did not allow a sack, and I think that means... The only time Clemson sacked Pickett was whenever they brought like six or seven guys and the running back missed a block or there was an extra guy and Pickett had nowhere to go. Other than those couple times, Pickett was able to get through his reads and those guys up front are earning their free dinners. (laughs) You can say that again. What I really liked was the progression of it. Yes, they gave up two sacks early uh, on clear design blitzes by Clemson, uh, barely allowed a hurry the rest of the game. And you could tell that they were wearing on Clemson's defensive front by the fact that, as you referenced, Rodney Hammond, a freshman, coming off the bench, was able to come in in the fourth quarter with Izzy out in concussion protocol, and we were able to shove the ball down Clemson's collective suck. Yeah, uh, shout out to Rodney Ham- Hammond. I'm really excited to see what he does moving forward. He, I love Izzy, and Izzy is an absolute stud running back, but Rodney Hammond just looks like the most natural runner on the roster. When he gets the ball in his hands, he's just a gamer. I mean, you heard his uh, post-game press conference said he wasn't scared at the moment. He's built for big games. He just has, you know, a swagger about him, and he can really run the football. I mean, to step up in that moment and just – you know, against one of the best defenses in the country and really just ice the game, that's that's a special football player right there. That doesn't just happen to anyone. Before I talk about Izzy and Rodney being thunder and lightning, future of the pit backfield, I'm going to publicly apologize to Vincent Davis. He's played well <laughs> lately. 
even though the box score didn't blow you away, he did look pretty good. He made some key guys miss. He looked solid in the open field. Picked up a couple third down conversions. Exactly. And hey, can't ask for much more out of him when he's being used like that. This is the role they should be using him in. Yeah. Sparingly, not at every down back, but I mean, he does have a role in this offense and the way they're using him right now is I think the most effective. But not to get off topic, Rodney Hammond, whenever he first came in, I was very convinced that LaShawn McCoy, who was like the honorary captains, put on a number nine jersey and went out there and <laughs> was just hitting the hole hard and cutting one Shifty. foot in the ground and picking up like 12 yards a carry against the Clemson Tigers. Yeah, Hammond exceeded expectations, and it makes me feel a little bit more comfortable as we face a game this week where uh, Izzy may not be able to play. More on that later, but uh, I think this is the longest we've gone into a podcast without uh, speaking and praising Kenny Pickett effusively. So why don't we do our 10 minutes on Kenny? I think it's funny that you mentioned that because I think the running backs, the offensive line, and the defense exceeded our expectations and Kenny Pickett, who threw for 300 yards, a couple touchdowns, was just like, yep, sounds about right. We saw that coming in. Solidifying his rightful place in the Heisman conversation. So If the, it wasn't there already. The throw to Jordan Addison, the touchdown pass to Jordan Addison was an absolute dime. Gorgeous. The touchdown to Tazier Mack, the balls on Whipple and, and the balls on Pickett to make that throw. I mean, Mack was wide open. Put it right on the money. I love that play because I think everybody in the stadium saw that touchdown unravel at the same time except for Clemson. Because <laughs> Kenny, you know, looked a guy off, looked up, and I think everybody in the stadium was already on their feet. I know I already had my brother-in-law in a bear hug before the ball left his hand, and it was just a thing of beauty. I mean, and also the, the testicular fortitude on Whipple cannot go unmentioned. I don't know if it was... In his post-game interview, like with the ESPN reporter on the field, or if it was with the media after the game, but Kenny said that when he walked up to the line and saw how Clemson was lined up, he knew that was going to be a touchdown. It was one of those shot plays where he's like, "Yep, I like this matchup, and Tace here is going to run the route right, and I'm going to hit him in stride, and it's going to be a touchdown." I mean, the defensive back wasn't within ten yards of him. Tace here, Mac, turned them around, torched them, and Kenny Pickett. We're used to him hitting these deep balls over the middle. There's a lot of college quarterbacks who would shit their pants there and like overthrow them or underthrow them a little bit. I don't want to take these easy ones for granted. Joe Milton. <laughs> Joe Milton, Sean Clover, Spencer Rattler, they're not making that throw. No. I, I also love the play call because I my one of my big concerns coming into the game was that maybe Narduzzi plays a little too conservative, plays not to lose. And they've made it very clear this year that they're not going to be scared. I think, you know, having Kenny Pickett back there is probably a big reason for that. Um, anytime you trot him out, put put the ball in his hands, hope good things happen. But, you know, even I was a little uncertain. You know, it was early in the game. We've been losing the field position battle, fourth and five. A little uncertain about going for it, but... You don't like, punt the ball from the 39 with Kenny Pickett. I was like, team. we'll trust them. We'll trust them. And what do you know? It's a touchdown. So I, I love that. But they weren't, they were playing to win the game. And I, I love that about this pit team. I, I still am a little unnerved about how conservative they've become. I don't think it's going to cost us any games. Um, and I think I, I talked to you guys ears off after the game about, about this as we were waiting on our Uber and you're both 
telling me, shut up and enjoy the win. Um, but if this is a team that thinks it has a shot at the college football playoff, and I cannot believe that that's a thing that we're talking about right now. I think we say it every episode, like, holy shit, we're saying it, and it's not as a joke. Um, but with one loss to Western Michigan, um, we will still need a little bit of help if we went out to make it into the college football playoff. And I think they need to be blowing these teams out. If, if we can beat Virginia Tech by five scores, we should be doing it. If we can beat Clemson by three scores, we should be doing it. I, I love playing it, you know, safe and, and keeping Kenny out of harm's way and, and, you know, really cementing the victory. But at some point, the committee does look at style points and you need to show that you have grown from that loss to a max school if you want to make it into the college football playoff. It is our only hope is if we start just massacring teams. I think, I see what you're saying, but when you play Clemson, a win is a win. I don't care what the record is. The committee is going to value that. We're the first team in a very, very long time to beat Clemson by uh, double digits. So I think that says how big of a win that was. And they could have won by another score or two. But my point there was the teams are playing down the stretch. Are they very good? No, but they have really good offenses. So those are going to be shootouts. We are not going to win those games like Taking the air 20 to 14. Ball. Those are going to end up like 42, 30. We're going to put up numbers. Or we're going to have to put up numbers. Because as good as our defense has been playing, you're not going to hold uh, – Virginia at this point, they look like they can throw for 400 every yeah, the, game. the juggernaut Cavaliers, which yeah. is what they are, I guess. I don't know. I'm confused. I'm now. not worried I'm about lost. our offense hanging with anybody, so whatever it takes, Pickle will get it done. Just but win, baby. He'll get his numbers. I'm worried about winning right now. Let's, let's win the ACC, and then anything that comes with it is great. I, trust me, I would love to be in the playoff. I would love to look, look at our our. Uh, percentages go up each week with our likelihood of making the playoff, but let's just win for now and enjoy the ride. I agree. I agree. I'm just being greedy, and I think it's really cool that we have a team that allows us to get a little greedy this year. You know, think about it. We came into this year, and you remember what we said? We said if we can be undefeated or one loss going into Clemson, Miami, North Carolina and steal one of those games, we'd be happy with the year. We have now beaten Clemson after going into that game with one loss. And now we're 11-point favorites against Miami. 11-point favorites against Miami. And I'd be shocked if we were under, like, 8-point favorites against UNC, barring a total collapse against Miami. This team is in an unbelievable place that we did not anticipate. And I am on cloud nine. I'm so happy. Please just win. Please just win next week. Please just win. Now, I don't want to flip away from... Uh, the game too quickly. Uh, I still want to talk about the other side of the ball. And um, uh, we, we discussed heavily last week how imperative Clemson's offense versus our defense was going to be. And I think there was a pretty clear winner in that matchup, don't you guys? Yeah, I mean, the defense stepped up. Um, you know, other than they ran the ball okay against our defense in spots, but for the most part, couldn't move the ball. They can't throw the ball. DJ's not very good. Um, so Pitt continues to take advantage of poor quarterback play for their opponents. And, I mean, Servassier-Dennis, maybe the play of the year so far. 
Gotta be in, gotta be in contention. That was beautiful. Have you seen that ever aside from like sixth grade youth football? A dude's jumping a, a, a shovel pitch. pass and taking it like 55 yards. I certainly don't see it a lot. And I like to think that that's more Servassier Dennis being a full on dog than uh, DJ Uyunglele being dog shit. Um, but it, it was beautiful. And, and that's, I mean, we knew the game was over at that point. And Voss gave uh, gave credit to Coach Bates for that play call. He said he was uh-huh. just in the right place at the right time. So that's not he's who, got great instincts. I'd say it was a little more than that, but a great play all around. You don't accidentally steal a shot pass. <laughs> it's that boomer bust defense, and that was that was the boom. Uh, but yeah, Clemson um, confirmed not good at offense. Uh, I think our, our guest last week, first of all, he was phenomenal. Got so much feedback about how intelligent and well-spoken he was about the game. Will was phenomenal. Everything he said was right. Do you remember what he told us last week? He was taking Pitt because Kenny Pickett averaged like two more yards per game than Clemson's entire offense. Do you want to know where they ended up uh, on, on Saturday? Please. Kenny Pickett, 317 total yards. The Clemson Tigers... 315 total yards. Oh, man. What do you know? Hey, he called it. He almost got the score, too. But, yeah, that is that is an unimpressive offense with 11 guys who could have gone to any school that they wanted in the entire country. I think that's just us being Pitt fans and we're like not used to being this good. Because all the Clemson fans that we talked to, they knew that game was over in the third quarter. They knew that they couldn't keep up with our offense. Like, well... We're down 10. We got DJs our quarterback. Just not who we are. We can't march down the field quickly and score. So they knew they couldn't come back, but us Pitt fans, I know I was sweating until we got that like last first down or two and built yeah. the clock. I thought, well, I don't know. I've seen us give up touchdowns, onside kicks, and touchdowns again in the last couple of minutes, but this team's just different, and we should treat them that way. Pitt fans are so snake bit that it creates this, like, Really cool fan experience um, whenever a game is, like, mathematically off the table. Like, when they get that last first down and there's a minute and a half left and it finally dawns on everyone in the crowd, wait, they statistically cannot pit this game away. I love it. Oh, my God. Oh my god! And it's happened the last two games with us melting the clock out. And I I just think it's the coolest experience. I love how you said that because when I was looking at the box score before we started recording, I saw the win probability chart where it goes like up and down, and mm-hmm. uh, in like the mid third quarter, we had like an eighty five to like ninety percent chance of winning. And at that point, I'm like still damn near yeah. shitting my britches over like <laughs> what could happen. Like if we miss this field goal, we're only up by. 14 still, and I don't know. Like you said, we're snake bitten, but when Pickett's on your side, puts you at ease a little bit. Also, how good does beating Dabo Swinney feel? Phenomenal. I loved watching his press conference. It was very weird because at the end of the day, they're four and three, and they're going to be favored in probably all of their remaining games, so they could very well just end up with like nine or ten wins still. 
but he was acting as if he was at like a funeral for a family member. Like that fan base is down. They're down bad. I love seeing that. I love Dabo having no answers. I hate Dabo Swinney. Go on. I'm well aware. Let it all out. I. Yeah. Yeah. Do you've been waiting for this for, for like permission granted a long time. I didn't say anything about it last week because I knew how bad it was going to sound if I just trashed Dabo and then Clemson trashed Pitt. He is my least favorite non-Urban Meyer football-related human being that has ever been born. I think he is such a wolf in sheep's clothing. I think he loves putting on this Oh shucks, good old boy bit to cover a lot of his true, you know, feelings and motivations. Um, faith is a really cool thing, but Dabo, to me, constantly hides behind the Bible whenever he's asked a tough question about literally anything. But the few times he's forgotten to quote revelations, he's really shown himself to be behind the times. He threatened to quit when... Uh, they talked about the potential of players getting paid. I see that worked out for him. Uh, he said that George Floyd's murder was because of a sinful fallen world. He refused to fire a coach who admitted to saying the N-word in front of players. Uh, I could really go on and on. This is not a politics podcast, but I, I do really want to emphasize that I, I do think Dabo and his foghorn leghorn bullshit... <laughs> It's just the absolute worst. And I like Clemson as a program. I like their fan base. I despise Dabo. Thank you so much for letting me get that off my chest. We knew how much you wanted that. Not wanted it. You needed it. You needed to get that off your chest. I feel like I need a cigarette now. Listen on a safety right now. Design roll to the right. Throwing on the run, corner of the end zone, Addison beats the safety, Turner, for the touchdown. Seat check, time for a seat check, haven't had one in a few weeks, if you don't remember. Zero is Dave Wanstad after beating West Virginia. 100 is Mike Haywood after the incident. This special edition of seat check don't think it will be much of a seat check at all, but we wanted to give just a few minutes to Coach Pat Narduzzi. Give him his props. His flowers. His flowers. And appreciate the phenomenal job he's done with the Pitt program. The, the coach that we never wanted out. We, we, never, we never wanted Pat Narduzzi fired. I, I can't remember a time. No, I can't, and I'm definitely not um, logging on to Anchor to delete our Week 3 podcast. I knew he would win the next three or four. How many weeks has it been? I knew we were in all of them. I knew we would have a chance to make the playoff after that loss. I was never out. All joking aside, I think after the Tennessee game, we talked about it a little bit, and we talked about the depth that they've built with the defense, and... The overall development of skill positions. Um, Pitt's got legit studs at just about every position. Yeah. Uh, you know, like we said, the offensive line we thought was a weak spot. That's a strength right now. Running backs, 
a little questions about that before the season. Now we have maybe a new star emerging with Rodney Hammond. And then Izzy, you know, he's, uh, we knew that. Um, I mean, all around the field, this is the first pit team I can really remember that you can't point the one position group and say, they can kill us this game. I, I've been pretty worried about the secondary for a while, and even they've had some real dudes emerge. I mean, Brandon Hill is now on the Jim Thorpe Award watch list. He's in the top 10, top 12, rather, for uh, for that award. So, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know, man. <laughs> it, it feels like the conversation every year has been like, is Narduzzi the guy? What what can Narduzzi do with this program? And now the national media narrative is, look at what Pat Narduzzi has built in Pittsburgh. And it will all depend on how the rest of the season shakes out. But at the very least, he's proven that he can put Pitt at a, in a position to be, year in and year out, a contender and maybe a favorite in the Coastal. And I think that's... I don't know. Is that a good bar to set for the program? I think it's okay. Uh, the Coastal is always going to be open. There's not a dominant program in there. And if Pitt can come out and play for the ACC championship every year, every other year, I mean, that's a pretty damn good spot to be in. Yeah, especially since Mac Brown can't seem to turn the corner at UNC. And, and I think Pitt's right now looking to be in the position that I think a lot of people thought UNC would overtake is the, you know, a team that's able to build something consistent in the coastal, uh, you know, opposite Clemson, not equal to, but opposite Clemson. I'm going to take the topic away from recruiting and team building to just coaching, because I heard something today that literally blew my mind. Never thought I'd hear it. I was talking to somebody who was a Clemson fan about the game and he's like, yeah, DJ didn't look good, blah, blah, blah. But what made me the most mad was Pitt outcoached Clemson. And I was like, wait, did Pat Narduzzi just out X and O Dabo Sweeney and Brett Venables? Yeah, I guess we did. Oh, my God. Only two coaches have beaten Dabo twice. Nick Saban and Pat Narduzzi. You can say we're hard for Nard right now. Oh, oh, yeah. Do we even need to give like like temperatures? Isn't like that's the point of the segment, right? Zero. I'll give us uh, 17, a degree for every uh, number in our ranking. I'm going to put his seat at 10 degrees because I still want to... There's still, like, a statistical possibility of... I don't want to use the phrase end-of-season collapse, but if the wheels kind of came off, then I think there's an alternative where this all falls back on Narduzzi and we say like, even with, you know, the season served to you on a golden platter, you couldn't win. So I, I don't want to put him at like negative 10 degrees and say he's never ever getting fired and we better build the statue now. But I'm getting close to saying <laughs> he's never ever going to leave and we should build the statue now. I'll give you i I'll give you five degrees. I, I'm a little more extreme about it, but I'm riding high with Pat right now and, I mean, I know this could swing in a week, but I I feel really good about it right now. And Whipple, zero. Zero degrees. He's got that offense moving. I saw somebody post today that 
they're not sure if Whipple will come back next year. Like there's like unconfirmed, like very, very unconfirmed rumors that he might just want to retire after this year after Pickett leaves. And I was like, oh man, Whipple's going to leave. We're not going to have Whipple next year. How sad. <laughs> and I was serious. What a hilarious thought. <laughs> Look how far we've come. I think it would be poetic if he rode uh, into the sunset with Kenny. Um, kind of like what he's built, though. And, you know, unless uh, Brendan Marion is, is going to be ready next year, I don't know. I'm... I've got a scenario for you. Tom went to LSU. <laughs> Matt Canada promoted the head coach. They draft Pickett and hire Whipple as the OC. How does that sound? I hate it. <laughs> Here comes pressure. Picked up nicely. Man wide open! Touchdown Pittsburgh! Taysir Mack! 39 yards on fourth down. It's Halloween weekend and we are going to be introducing a new segment this week. We call it the Coastal Costume Party. In this segment we discuss what our favorite and least favorite college football personalities will be dressing up as to our costume party. Who want to start? How about Kenny Pickett? This is an easy one. He's going to jump in a giant pot of bronze paint, grab a leather helmet, and go to the Heisman Trophy. The Pickett Trophy, you mean? Soon to be. I actually was kind of hoping uh, Kenny would show up to our party in just uh, some horns and a pair of hooves because he is the goat, baby. <laughs> I was thinking just something simple like Superman. He just dresses up as Superman because he is Superman. College football. You know what they say, though? Clark Kent has a Kenny Pickett jersey in his closet. <laughs> so that might be backwards. Clark Kent's going to go in the phone booth and come out as Kenny Pickett. He wishes. That'd be a hell of a jersey exchange after a game. Pickett gets the cape. Clark Kent gets the uh, the number eight. Seems like an unfair trade for Kenny. Yeah, I think you're right. Almost as bad as that trade of the uh, the guy who got Brady's 600 touchdown. He gave <laughs> it back for like $1,000 in store credit at the stadium. Yeah, that thing is worth six figures. But I also imagine it was pretty hard to negotiate with like a personnel manager in your face. Just like, give me the ball. Give me the ball. Dude, it's his 600 touchdown. Just, just whatever you want. Give me the ball. All right. Next well, up. Who else is coming to the party? Well, our coach, Pat Narduzzi, will be there. But I can't imagine him as anything else other than a football coach. He's, so he's simply, I guarantee Pat Narduzzi is a football coach for Halloween. He definitely shows up to parties with like his pit polo and a whistle and a visor and is like, we aren't going to change who we are just because it's Halloween. <laughs> just just straight coach speak all night. Yes, yes. So Actually, if you ask Narduzzi about Halloween, he's absolutely going to say, ah, I don't even know when it is. I, you know, I'm just worried <laughs> about the football team right now. I'm, you know, well, we, We've got a game to win. I'm not really worried about things of that nature. Tomlin-esque. <laughs> I think he could also pull off a gym teacher from Youngstown because those are the only two things I could ever imagine him being. If his football career didn't work out, that's what it would be. Exactly. So, honestly, they're pretty much the same thing. I mean, Eric Kasparowicz was my gym teacher for three straight years. And now and, he's on the sideline for the games. <laughs> yeah. And now he's caught in every single frame of Mark Whipple. <laughs> All right. Next up on the list, you know, Lucas Kroll will be there. He'll probably show up with Kenny. 
Mm-hmm. They'll be the waiting beers. Oh, yeah. A couple cold ones. He'll walk in with a full keg under his arm. But who's he, who's he dressed as? I, I was thinking Ivan Draga. <laughs> My first thought was Dog the Bounty Hunter. He got some recent uh, PR in the news of this whole Brian Laundrie murder scenario. Dog the Bounty Hunter was on his tail, and the first thing I thought was, that's just Lucas Kroll in 45 years. Honestly, if I thought Lucas Kroll was coming after me, I would take a real long swim in the uh, Everglades. <laughs> so, so just a real theme of, like, Guys with big blonde mullets. So I'm going to go with Tiger King. What's that dude's name? Joe Exotic. Just Joe Exotic. Joe Exotic. Yeah. Okay. Um, Jeff Collins. You know, we don't we don't like the guy, but we're going to invite him to the party. It's just like, you know, cordial. Like, hey, here's an invite. Really don't want you to show up. It's, it's the coastal costume party, yeah. you know? We'll shake his hand firmly at the door when he comes in. I'm sure he'll make eye contact. I'm sure. I'm sure he'll meet at the web. Shake three times and make eye contact like an adult. He's gonna go as sloth from the Goonies because he wouldn't need a costume. <laughs> He'd wear that stupid Georgia Tech cutoff, probably. God, I really hope he doesn't show up. What a pity invite that is. All right, not everyone at the coastal costume party has to be in the coastal. Uh, you know, we're just the hosts here, but Dabba. Who's Dabo coming dressed as? Uh, if Foghorn Leghorn was a pastor, so just like... <laughs> a like rooster a, like a, with a Bible? A giant <laughs> rooster with a all-black suit. Okay, yeah, that's that's all I can see either. Can't top that. I think we threw a couple in the group chat that I, I don't think would help us get advertisers. All right. Kalijah Cansey. He's a scary man. Very scary man. John, I think you had a good one for that one. Yeah. He, he's quarterback's worst nightmares. He had a couple crazy plays this past week where he was just in the backfield in a second and scared the crap out of quarterbacks. So he's going to go with Freddy Krueger because he's ACC quarterback's worst nightmare. He's living in their dreams. And he's probably going to literally kill Sam Howell when he comes to town. The nightmare on North Shore Drive. Oh, baby. Patent that. What about, uh, what about Cal Adamitis? Good kid, long snapper, might have a future in the NFL, great NIL deal going, raising money for the kids. What do we, what do we think for him? I mean, he's got great flow. Might not have a great flow anymore. If he, if he hits his $94,000 goal, he's going to cut his hair, he said. So, maybe they won't hit it by uh, Halloween. But Tarzan? I think he can pull off good Tarzan. Oh, I was going to say one of the Geico cavemen, but that's a lot nicer. <laughs> I think we want him on at some point, so yeah, let's go with yeah, that one. We'll, we'll go Tarzan. Um, he also has a potential future in the WWE, so... If I had a good WWE wrestler to say off the top of my head, but we'll, we'll just say he's going as a professional wrestler. Yeah, give him a belt. I'm sure he's capable of doing backflips off of turnbuckles or tables at our Halloween party. I like all those. Get his brother Graham in on it. Former tight end from Princeton. Best played, brothers. Played a little on the Colts. 
Yeah, the Bash Brothers. Are, are we referring to the, the Mighty Ducks Bash Brothers? Yeah. Okay, thank God. <laughs> Same team. That'd be, that'd be a good one. Uh, how would we invite our next opponent, Manny Diaz? <laughs> okay. Halloween's the day after, so hopefully we just get done beating the brakes off of them. We're like, all right, Manny. Keebler Elf? I was going to say a gremlin. He's the general weird guy who creeps me out. He can be a garden gnome, and he can sit out front very still and not say a word. He could be a... No, no. I was going to say he's a guy who's unemployed because he'll get fired, but they just had a pretty decent win against NC State that looked pretty good, so... I don't know. I think he's so done. He's cooked. Hang on by a thread. Narduzzi might go as the Grim Reaper because he's just like axing ACC football coaches' futures. Justin <laughs> Fuente is done. Yeah. Manny Diaz, done. Hopefully, Dino Babers at the end of the year, done. Uh, I don't know. I think they've been just surprising enough this year with like a halfway decent defense and one very good running back that people can say he's building something. But for the joy of the narrative, Yes, Grim Reaper, Grim Reaper, Pat Narduzzi. Maybe Mac Brown was croaking the silent after he scored forty-two points in the first half. <laughs> All right, how about uh, James Franklin? I, I don't know how he hit invite slipped in, into his mailbox, but he got invited. How does one dress up like a jag off? <laughs> <laughs> I said he should just be a turnstile because, like, they count the attendance, and that's the only thing that Penn State has going for them at this point. So he can just be a turnstile. I don't know how that's going to work, but I'm wondering if he has any uh, burgundy and gold in his closet because he's going to be the USC coach pretty soon. So he might as well get started early. He just shows up at the party like, ah, oh, wouldn't that be so funny, guys? Just in the uh, middle of a soon-to-be three-game losing streak, just start packing your bags now. Get a USC. Get a clean slate. Honestly, though, I, I, in real life, if James Franklin showed up to a Halloween party that was documented and he was wearing, like, a USC polo and USC visor as a joke, that would slightly change my opinion of him because I think that would be hilarious if he just leaned into it. Also, every time I think of James Franklin, I think of that really, really dumb picture of him in, like, kid's tiger face paint. So maybe he would just do that. <laughs> I know you all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> all right, party's getting a little crowded. Let's get through. We got a couple more uh, on the invite list. Dave wants that. I mean, he's VIP. He, he true Yenzer. He will be invited to every party, every Halloween party from here for the rest of time. I I honestly want him here watching Monday Night Football. Like I I would invite him anywhere that I thought he would come. That's the kind of energy you need in your squad. Dave wants that's. One of the most Pittsburgh guys I can think of. So one of the most Pittsburgh things I could think of was just Iron City beer. So I think he just goes as a can of Iron City beer. What about a bottle of Heinz ketchup? Really any sandwich? Any of those things. A parking chair. <laughs> what are some more Pittsburgh things? I don't know, but him coming at Ron Cook the other week was chef's kiss. Ron Cook with the worst lead to a story I've ever read this week. I don't want to get too into it because I 
that whole thing I did with Dabo earlier, I will do again. But uh, guys still trying to justify voting for Jason White 20 years later. F*** Ron Cook. I who else? Uh, Paul Crist. Continuing the theme of inviting former coaches, I think he's just going to be a slice of white bread. A bowl of clam chowder. I think those are very fitting for his personality because the guy couldn't recruit his nephew to come to Pitt. Uh, he just seems like the most boring person of all time. I saw a tweet years ago that said that Paul Chris looks like a guy who takes a long time to order at Arby's. <laughs> so maybe just be like an Arby's roast beef sandwich. He kind of looks like one. Yeah. Paul Chris absolutely would not attend a party. No. He would stay at home and watch, like, an old episode of MASH or something. Like, really boring. Hey, he may be boring, but I respect the way he coaches football, and I respect the way his teams play. I'm glad I don't have to watch Pitt play that kind of football, but I, I think it's cool that someone else does it. Tops of your heads, though. Todd Graham, what's what's he wearing? Benedict uh, Arnold. Yeah, Benedict Arnold. Uh, let's see. Snake oil salesman. <laughs> Uh, Houdini, um, Lord of Voldemort. Uh, ooh, let's see what else. Uh, he's probably wearing like a way, you know, an Arizona State sorority girl under each arm. <laughs> Telegram's not invited. All right, that's about it for our invite list. Send us send us some ideas on Twitter this week. Once you listen to the pods, send us your best. Halloween costumes for college football personalities. We didn't get we didn't get any for some of our guys: Jordan Addison, Izzy, you know, maybe some coaches: Chuck Partridge, Randy Bates. Send us some good ones this week. We'll retweet the best ones, um, and maybe we'll even convince Squid to make a nice little graphic of it. Oh, I'm signing you up for it early. <laughs> Voluntelling. Happy Halloween, everyone. See you at the Coastal Costume Party. Memory for Justin Ross came here to have surgery done by one of the best in the country, and obviously, oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! The pitch is picked off, and it's going to be a touchdown for Servassier Dennis. Please welcome on to the show former pit linebacker and pit legend Elijah Zeiss. Elijah, how you doing? I can't complain. Living. Excellent, excellent. So, Elijah, you uh, in your football career, you went by quite a few names uh, through high school, college, and your professional career. Uh, Ghost Town, Dog Soldier, Night Killer, uh, Night Stalker. Do you have a preferred nickname, and what would you like us to refer to you as through this interview? Um. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Dog Soldier works for me. Uh, I feel like at this point it rolls off of most of you guys' tongues. So I uh, also prefer that one. So, you know, it is what it is. I don't mind. Excellent. The, I don't mind dog cuzzo either. That's a, that's a good one. Just a. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. So dog cuzzo. Uh, Pitt has a huge game this week uh, coming up against Miami. You were a part of that story 2017 uh, game against Miami where Kenny Pickett had his coming out party and we 
denied them access to uh, the college football playoff. So tell us what you remember about that Miami game uh, leading up to it during and uh, the after party at Peter's. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously leading up to it, um, they're number two in the country. Um, and so leading up to it, it was pretty tight in practice all week. Um, we, we were talking about how big a game it was. And you know, there's a lot of people um, outside the building talking about how we were just going to you know, get clapped and, and all of that. Um, and Dues was kind of just in the meetings, like, there's no need to be tight. Like, you know, we, we've got everything like this. We're not going to a bowl game. Like, this is what it is. Um, there's nothing to be nervous about. Just go out there and, and you know, play and, and put on. It's going to be a beautiful day, which ended up being like a 60 degree day. It was beautiful out there. Um, and so that's kind of what I remember from that week is just not really having a, a too much of a worry um, all week. Everyone was pretty loose. Like, you know, we're going to go out and play no matter what. Um, and so we just wanted to put on a show. And then once the game actually got there, I mean, uh, they didn't seem like, like they were the number two team in the country and they were good, but they just like, we were out there on the field and we're just kind of like, didn't really feel it. You know what I mean? Like it was unwinnable or anything like that. We just got out there and we're like, yeah, we could do this. Um, and as the game kept going on and on, um, we kept making big plays and big plays. And obviously, like you said, it was Kenny's coming out party. So he was making plays all day long. And, you know, eventually we got the W and, and, and it was just, you know, I don't want to say unreal because, again, it felt like we had it from the very beginning. Like, just kind of when you when you play certain games, you kind of just get this feeling in your gut right from the beginning, like how the game's going to go um, and stuff like that. And we felt pretty confident right from the first snap. And so it wasn't unreal when we won, but it definitely was was pretty sick taking off the top two. Um, team in the nation especially after having done it the year before um and so that definitely was sweet and then yeah I mean we went to Peters rest in peace um and got after it after that Peters was unreal I mean you you can say the feeling of the game wasn't wasn't unreal but Peters itself was unreal Peters was unreal yeah I mean it wasn't it wasn't your normal Peters um night just because everyone had gone home for Thanksgiving break or whatnot but it was still a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a great time there. Um, yeah. Those who I mean, stayed in town were, uh, were rewarded. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's, you know, you were either rewarded with a pit W or, you know, if you were at Peter's later on, you were rewarded with uh, Lyndon just paying your whole bar tab, like whatever. <laughs> that was, that was absolutely a violation. Like, you, <laughs> you should have had your eligibility stripped. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I can say it now, but, then yeah so um another another one of the guys you played with probably one of my all-time favorite pit athletes um probably one of the baddest dudes that ever come through that program give me a good story about none other than george aston george aston yeah i mean <laughs> there's that dude was just on another level uh he was just on another level, both physically and like mentally. This dude was, was something else. He's like, 
crazy. Um, the biggest story that sticks in my mind is obviously, um, I've told you this guy's this story before, but it was um, freshman year, George was a, uh, a walk-on and he, you know, it was, it, it was like during camp, he had been generating a lot of buzz, like in the like position groups and stuff. Cause he's like real strong, big lifter. Um, and, you know, so it like started to, started to get a little buzz around the, like the locker room. Like he might be the strongest guy there and, and stuff like that. Um, and at the time he uh, was a fullback, obviously, I think he originally started as a linebacker and then got moved in that camp. So he was, this is probably like his fourth or fifth day as a um, fullback slash like tight end type uh, receiver um, position. I mean, and every day during camp at the end of practice, uh, the coaches would like call up uh, a defensive player and an offensive player and have them like meet in the middle and everyone like get around them. And they, it was pretty much just like a, a blocking like type type deal where one guy would have to try and push the other guy back and whoever like pushed him out of the um, like out of the ring of players would win. So the I think it was probably the third one that we did. It was uh, George got called up against um, Todd Thomas, who you know, Todd Thomas, uh, pride of Beaver Falls. Um, I think at this point he was like an eighth year senior or something like that. Um, he, you know, big, strong, he, you know, was always just, um, had an attitude, you know, about him. Like he's not a dude you really mess with. Um, and, and so he gets called out into the circle with, with George Aston, who again, is this walk on freshman. He gets called out into the ring with, with George and you can just tell on his face, like, he's just like, he's just pissed. He wants like embarrassed to be even called into the ring against the, this this freshman like what is going on so he, so he gets in there um george gets down in like his uh his like uh tight end three-point stance uh todd is up in his like linebacker stance like getting ready to like try and stop him a whistle blows and george just pops out of his stance gets right up underneath todd and like i don't want to say he lifted him but he lifted him and drove him back about 10 yards like everyone who was in the ring, um, like behind him, like kind of like backed up a little bit and had to like kind of catch Todd before he uh, inevitably hit the ground. Like it was pretty much a pancake without him actually hitting the ground. Um, it was like, <laughs> it was probably one of the most unreal like things I ever seen. Um, like <laughs> Todd was like being held up by a, a bunch of players everyone else in the ring was like going crazy. Like all the older Todd's like friends and stuff were like in his face, like John Adam and, and all this stuff. You could tell he was just embarrassed. George is like, you know, having a good time. It was honestly one of the, the most unreal things I've ever seen. It was pretty sick. So that's when the legend of George Aston began. Yeah, you could say, and no one, no one was messing with that dude after that. And then um, another, another funny story of him was just, one night we were all out drinking and uh, this dude legitimately took his, his iPhone and just bent it. <laughs> he just <laughs> bent it, <laughs> just bent it and broke it in half. I don't know. It doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know why he did it, but he just, he did it. <laughs> we don't question George Aston around here. He does what he wants and no one will yeah. tell him otherwise. It would yeah, take so much torque. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> You're looking for torque. George is your man. <laughs>
and big thick next. Yeah. It's funny too. He drove uh he used to drive a um uh a Chevy Cruze, which I, I if you've ever seen that car, it's like real that's <laughs> real what I drive. Small. Yeah, it's like it's like <laughs> real, real small. And like just watching George get in and out of this car every day is just hilarious. And I guess um I guess he like flipped it a couple of times on his way back and forth between here and uh, Virginia. And I just like <laughs> thinking about the physics of the of the whole thing just like make me laugh all, all the time just this big dude in the car i think uh george aston would win in oklahoma against the chevy cruise <laughs> yeah i mean he would like i think the only reason his car was flipping was because like <laughs> he was kind of like lopsiding it like on the road like that's he was just torquing the wheel too fast is what it was yeah, we talked to uh, to a guy from Clemson last week, uh, Will, he's, he's a writer for Clemson, and he told us the story of how George Aston, I really uh, contributed to Scott Orndorff, but George Aston basically broke Clemson. So, like, now they practice against the slip screen. Like, and they did for almost every practice for years after 2016 because George Aston got them twice on it. And, uh, that is that is a special kind of player to come in as a uh, as a walk on and unquestionably change the path forward and the approach of the top college program in America. Yeah, I mean, honestly, when when it's all said and done, and you're talking about like the greatest athletes in sports and what they, you know, what kind of mark they left on the game and what they've attributed to, you know, changing each of their games. Like, there's, you know guys like LeBron James, Steph Curry, um, you know, Michael Vick, uh, guy, guys like these. He, George Aston's name is right up there. Like, that, that's his play. That shovel play, that, that's his. Simple as that. Yeah, I heard, heard Stephen A. Smith talking about that the other day, actually. <laughs> yeah, it was literally, it was right across the, uh, the banner. That was, that was the question. Uh, is LeBron James in the same, uh, you know, same atmosphere stratosphere as uh george Aston when it comes to changing their respective games speaking of uh some guys that you've had the chance to play with in your career and uh you know quite quite a collection um you were a senior when kenny pickett was a freshman uh so at, at what point did you look across the practice field and say wow that guy's gonna win a heisman in four or five years you know i mean it's hard to say you like that Miami game, that was like Kenny came in day one and was just red hot. You know, obviously he's had his had his ups and downs the past couple of years, but you know that game, the way he a freshman came out against that Miami defense and put up the numbers that he did and you know, gutted it out uh like he did, like you knew he was gonna be special right from that point, honestly. Um, that naked boot where he, you know, uh, scored the touchdown against Miami where he dove for like, that's, that's a star right there. When you, you dive for that. I don't, I don't really think he needed to dive, but he dove for it. That's, that's when he, he dove into stardom right then and there. That might be his Heisman moment, despite it happening four years ago. <laughs> yeah. I might just flash that on the screen at his uh, Heisman ceremony. Yeah. So, I mean, Kenny's obviously you know that main one but are there any other like underclassmen that you played with who might have only been freshman or sophomore when you were there who you were like you know he doesn't play a ton yet or not many people know him yet but he's going to be a stud in a couple years 
Um, I mean, really, I mean, honestly, right before, uh, like before Paris Ford, obviously started playing, he was a stud in practice. Like he was running all the scout teams and um, he would always be the punt returner when we were um, doing punt and stuff like that. Like you obviously knew with the kind of recruit he was that we had big plans for him. But when, you know, there are a bunch of guys that are like that. And then once they get there, you know, it's different. Paris Ford, like he was unreal, like even in practice. And, you know, it is, he was definitely one. Another guy um, that I played with, who's a big part of the team now uh, was Cam Bright. He um, obviously as a linebacker, so I knew him pretty well. He was a guy who always, um, when he was a uh, underclassman, always showed some promise, but he was never one to, he was never big into authority um, and, you know, that type of deal. <laughs> so, you know, he kind of was a, a bit in his own way uh, first year or two, but, He's definitely a guy that we see him out on the on the field, um, out on the practice field, and just like see him in the weight room too. Like he can he can push some weight. Just the way that he's kind of built, like you could always kind of imagine that you know something special was in the stars for him as well. He's he's a real athletic, good talent. He's just gotta you know stay the course. Uh, but he was definitely another guy that I always kind of was like, if he can just you know get it figured out, like he'd definitely be a good guy. So, Elijah, you're a whoopie old guy. You went to the University of North Allegheny. Was it an easy decision for you to pit? Was that a foregone conclusion? And I also want to hear about the coaches that recruited you. And do you have any funny stories about your recruiting process? Yeah, I mean, I think when I think about it now, I think I probably was always headed to pit. There are other schools that I think I you know, wanted to go to at the time when I was being recruited, but I think I think I kind of knew that I've always, I always wanted to go to Pitt. And then when I look back at my time now, like I couldn't imagine going anywhere else. Um, you know, like just my time at Pitt was best years, best years of my life. Um, and so I definitely looking back at it now, like I don't think there's anywhere else I would have chosen to go. Um, when I was initially being recruited, um, one school that kind of stuck out to me, and this might make you cringe a bit, but one school that kind of stuck out to me um, was Duke. And I felt like pretty confident that if I had gotten offered by Duke, that I probably would have went there. Um, there's a period of my uh, life where I was kind of like, if I got offered by them, I think I would definitely go there. Um, obviously didn't get offered um, and so never ended up there. Um, but I definitely, I went down there for a camp and just loved the, the, the uh, campus and, and felt pretty good about, um, had a pretty good day down there and, and all that. So I felt pretty good about that. And I definitely felt like that would have been one place that would have gone. Um, other places, Maryland, um, I had an offer from Maryland and now Maryland was all right. Uh, I just remember thinking like, where the campus was it was like pretty like in a rough area a bit um not sure if I really like liked it around there um it was also like I swear I swear it was probably like 105 110 degrees there the one the one time I went I was like not vibing with that at all either I went to WVU uh visited them um that was pretty cool uh 
they had just, I think, just built like their new facilities and stuff like that. Um, and they were just coming off. I think when I took my visit, they were just coming off like a, the, that big Orange Bowl win against uh, Clemson um, a couple years back. So everything was like pretty buzzing around there. Uh, they just like, like I said, the new facilities and stuff like that. Uh, I got to meet Dana Holgerson, I'm pretty sure. Um, although I don't, I'm not sure if I really remember it. One thing I remember, I guess, was I don't know if it was him or if it was one of the other coaches. But one of them, like, I was just kind of talking to some of the players or whatever. One of the coaches came up and, like, just kind of, like, patted me on the back. But he, like, I guess just hit me harder than I was expecting. And, like, just every, like, bone in my back just, like, cracked. And I, like, looked back, like, who the fuck was that? Who, who was that guy? And I, I don't think it was is Dana Holgerson. But I, I honestly, I'm not sure. I, I can't remember. I just remember being slapped on the back and, like, being pretty put off by it. That's very thought, football guy. Yeah, greeting someone with way too hard a slap on the back <laughs> yes. is very football guy. I don't know what it was about. Um, I went to Temple. Uh, you know, Temple, it's it's up and coming, but it's in a very rough area of Philly. And my dad happened to go there um, when he was in school, and he was impressed with how much how far it has come. But it's still, you know, he's still pretty iffy about uh, me going there just because it's it's a pretty rough area of Philly. Um, but uh, I got to meet Matt Roll, who's like a cool dude. Obviously, he's coach of the Carolina Panthers. He's like a very interesting, very interesting dude. He kind of—I don't know how to explain. He looks like a like a like a rat in some ways, um, <laughs> and he like the way that he like talks was kind of like a, a rat too. Like he's like just very like. I don't know. I can't think of the right word to express it, but he's just like very like squirrely, like very, very interesting dude. Um, but I mean, I liked him. I, I vibed with what he was saying. He seemed like a genuine dude. Um, well, I was going to say, I was going to say not much like Narduzzi, but Narduzzi didn't recruit you, did he? No, no. I was uh, recruited by Chris. And let me tell you, Chris was, uh, Chris Exciting, was huh? quite the dude. He, he was a, Chris was a world-class, like, bullshitter, honestly. Um, he, he, like, he knew what you wanted to hear, and he knew how to say it. Um, but when it came to coming through on it, I mean, guy was nowhere to be found. Um, but, you know, I had always liked him, and um, the offensive coordinator that we had at the time, Joe Rudolph, he was a real good dude, too. Um they both recruited me um, to Pitt, and I enjoyed them. Chris, you know, I was pretty, I guess, upset when he left. Um, and it's funny the way that he left is like, yeah. Can you always, can you tell us? Oh yeah, yeah. The way that he left, it will always like just be ingrained in my brain. Like it's it's pretty like funny story. It was the the fall of my freshman year, and all this news obviously had been circulating that like the Wisconsin job was open, and you know obviously Chris was like the front runner for it. Uh, like all these ESPN articles and and uh, stuff were like circulating that he was going to take the job. And so after like a week or two of this like going on, uh, Chris like finally calls it a team meeting. It's like on like a random like I want to say like a Monday night or something like that. He like basically just gets up in front of us and is like, listen, guys, you know, I know all this stuff is circulating. Um, you know, I'm going to take this job and whatnot. Like, 
you guys will be the first to know if I'm going to take that job or not. Like this has been the hardest, you know, week or so of my life. Um, wouldn't even be like a consideration if it was anywhere but Wisconsin. But don't listen to any of those like articles or anything. I haven't made up my mind. They called me like I've just started to like kind of talk to them a little bit. Like nothing is final. Uh, you guys will be the first to know if I decide to take this job. Like it was basically an hour long meeting of him just reassuring us that like he wasn't going anywhere. Um, and if he was like, he was going to tell us and we were going to know. I shit you not. Right after that meeting, we get a text like that meeting was was like at eight o'clock on a Monday night. The next morning, like before we wake up and we have a text from our like Teamworks um, like uh, texting system where like they just automate messages and send them to everyone on the team. We had a text from that that said, Chris has taken the Wisconsin job. Like we had another team meeting at like noon that day like <laughs> to, to talk about it. <laughs> so we were like all like, what the hell? Like what are you talking about? So we like have the team meeting or whatever the next team meeting they're like yeah he's gone like he's not coming back um uh all that and then like later find out that like this dude literally got on a plane like got on a plane like a private jet like within an hour of our meeting the night before ending <laughs> like literally ended the meeting and then went flew out to wisconsin and just never came back um and you know to this day he still has never said goodbye you know um, which I like always just think about that story. Like this, this dude spent an hour telling us that like, we'll be the first to know, like there's nothing, nothing set in stone, like all that. And then he literally just left. Um, so that was like a pretty wild time um, that at the end of that fall. And it was like funny too, just because uh, this was obviously my first year on the team, but all the older guys had been there. Um, uh, most of the older guys had been there when Chris had first gotten there and they had like the, what's his name, Todd Graham and, and uh, like the Mike Haywood and all those like that coaching change uh, situation. A lot of those guys were there for that. So they were like kind of, they were kind of like telling us like um, what it's like to like when your coach is leaves and you're like kind of just like you have an interim coach. Like we still had a bowl game and stuff to like go through. We had bowl practice and all that. So he's yeah, like, that one went great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So they were telling us, like, all the older guys were telling us, like, dude, it'll be so much fun. Like, you don't have a coach for all of bowl season. Like, you're literally just going to be getting lit the whole time. Like, no one cares. <laughs> no one cares at practice. Like, everything's just going to be, like, it, we're just going to be, everything's going to be fine. We're going to be lit. Like, enjoy it while you can. Um, and so I can't remember when exactly in November that was, but it happened and then we spent the entire bowl season like I think I think our bowl was like a it's like a stupid like January 2nd like type bowl so we spent the whole month of December like just kind of you know bullshitting at practice like going out and getting drunk every night um like just doing that and um obviously it showed when we played Houston in that game um everything was going pretty well um, until like literally three minutes left in that game. And then all of a sudden they scored three unanswered touchdowns, uh, two unanswered onside kicks and a two point conversion to win the game all within like a, uh, a three minute span. And <laughs> we just didn't know what it hit us, but that was like, 
that bowl season like leading up to that was like hilariously just like a shit show <laughs> it was a, so it was all worth it you weren't worried yeah, about the armed forces worth it it was more memorable blowing a lead like that than actually winning the bowl game so in the long run yeah. got a good story out of it i'll tell you too another thing that makes it memorable is like in my five years playing at Pitt, <clears throat> that game in Fort Worth, Texas, was the coldest game that I played in in my entire career. Like, it was like below, it was like below 20. It was windy. It was raining. Like, I, I remember being on the sideline, like, on the verge of tears that it was so <laughs> that game. Like, all of the young guys would like have all of the like sideline coats or whatever. And anytime the offense would come off the field, we have to give them their coats back and like just be standing there trying to get be warm again, uh, hoping that they get back onto the field. And it was like hilarious too because that game, like I said, it was cold. But when we had first got there, like earlier in the week, it was like sixty degrees and sunny, and we had just flew in from Pittsburgh, where the weather was like obviously pretty crappy. Um, and so when we like knew that we were going to Texas. We're like, all right, like this weather will be like, we're excited for this weather. It's going to be hot. Like we get out of this Pittsburgh weather. Like it's going to be um, so good. We get out there the first day, it's 60 degrees and sunny. We're like, hell yeah. Everyone goes out on the practice field, like wearing tank tops and, and uh, no shirts and stuff like that. Like we're like all getting after it. And then the next day, like I think it legitimately snowed and we were like, what the hell, what are we doing? That uh, definitely was a bowl game uh, to remember. That's tough squash. So, all right, Armed Forces Bowl, uh, you played in the Sun Bowl. What what bowl had, like, the best gifts, best gift package? Best gift package. Or how about overall bowl experience, like going into the city and stuff? We'll expand to that. Because you said El Paso was pretty cool, right? Yeah, I, I loved El Paso. It was probably my second favorite bowl trip. Um, Plus, war is just a short walk across the border, so. <laughs> all kinds of yeah. fun going on there i'd say that's um fort worth or uh el paso is definitely my second favorite the pinstripe bowl in new york city was my favorite um i want to say the uh the whatever it was the armed forces the one where we lost to houston that was my third favorite and then the fourth was the military bowl in annapolis um I think that was probably the best gift. We all got Xbox Ones for, for that one, the uh, uh, Military Bowl, which is pretty sick. Um, everything else, like the bowl, the gifts were – the gifts were so-so. Like, m the most of the fun was pretty much just, like, they'd give you your per diem check, and it'd usually, like, be, like, a pretty sizable amount of money, and everyone would spend, like, just blow their load on the first two nights of all that money. Um and so it was a lot of fun. We went to uh, and when we went to a pinstripe bowl in New York, um, we went to this one like bar. Uh, it was right in Times Square. It was like this like bar, like club, like sports bar type type deal. And they had these forty five dollar like um, they were basically like if you were to. I can't think of the name of it, but if you were like to make like a lemonade for like a picnic or something, uh, you would put it in one of these and it would have like a faucet and you would. You know, pretty much. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They had like forty-five dollars. Um, each one was like forty-five dollars. It was literally just like the same thing, but just filled with whatever beer you wanted. Um, and so there was a ton of us there, just like hammering these. And I think by the end of the night, 
we probably went through like like 15 of them like they were huge and we went through like 15 of those we were like just ordering up shots ordering up like random like apps um like the bill was all together it was like two thousand dollars like it was just ridiculously um like ridiculous and like everyone more or less had to like put their whole per diem check on it um and so that was definitely a lot of fun we got after that um there was before we had gotten to that bar we went to this other bar it was just like this real divey like it's actually an italian restaurant that like had just like a little bar at the beginning and a few of us just went in there to eat and then a couple other guys for bar hopping like ended up coming in and then it just ended up being like a, a ton of us there and the dude who owned the bar like happened to be there he just started like giving us a whole bunch of like drinks and shit for free. And then he told us if we sang our, if we sang our fight song in the restaurant, he'd take a picture of us and put it up on his wall in the restaurant. Like he had a bunch of pictures of a bunch of people who've like gone there or whatever. He said, if he, we sang the fight song for him, we, you know, he'd take our picture and put it in there. And it's just hilarious because we sang the fight song maybe three times. And like I said, it wasn't really a bar. It was like a, a nice Italian restaurant where like people were there trying to have their dinner <laughs> and we were, we were just in there like getting after it and singing this fight song. Like here's a bunch of old people just like kind of looking at us like, what are they doing? Um, but that that definitely was a, was a lot of fun. And then getting to play in Yankee Stadium was like just pretty sweet. Like it, it, that was definitely my favorite trip. So after the ups and downs of the Paul Crist era, Pat Narduzzi, waltzes into town and takes the head coaching job after he took the job he moved you to defense right how'd that go about was that your idea <laughs> it certainly uh was not my idea um it's funny um <laughs> when narduzzi came in there were just a, a whole a whole bunch of changes like it was an absolute culture shock um like before i even get into like him moving me positions like I'll just tell you a little bit about some of the the changes like when Chris was there what we would do um, we would have classes in the morning and then our practice block was from um it's like about 12 30 to five o'clock that's when we would have practice and then we have um uh classes and stuff after that too when Narduzzi came in, Narduzzi wanted everything to be like football, everything to be in the morning. So we wanted our block to be from uh, 6 a.m. until noon. And then you'd take your classes and all of that, like after that. Um, unfortunately, when he like first came in, he didn't come in until after we had already scheduled our classes for the uh, for the spring. Like you scheduled them uh, in like November or whatever. So he wanted to implement that. But all, a bunch of the guys like had like nine thirty, eight o'clock classes and stuff like that so what he did was for the um like before we got the spring ball um he would have all of these like workouts and stuff like that we had our fourth quarter program which was another new thing um and basically he would have to make them earlier like early enough that you would be done by seven o'clock so that you could get back to your um dorm and stuff like that and make your eight o'clock classes so this first semester that he was there the spring semester um which you know is the off season uh, you're supposed to be you know kind of you know kicking back a little bit and having having a time this first spring that he was there 
he had us waking up at 4.30 in the morning <laughs> to go <laughs> and work out. And oh, yeah. I'm telling you, like, it was the most stressful, like, time period in my life. Like, I'm a pretty laid back, calm guy, like, go with the flow. Like, I'm telling you, like, this was the most stressful, like, time of my life. Um, we would wake wake up at 4.30. You, like, had to catch the, like, shuttle down. You would go down there. You would work out. Um eat your breakfast and then get back on the shuttle and come back up uh, and do your uh, classes or whatever. And then later on, we'd have to go back like during the like uh, one o'clock to like five ish area. We'd have to go back, watch film, like uh, do like stretch out um, all kinds of like other stuff that we didn't get to while we were there and then come back and then do classes. So that whole first semester was just like, like absurdly and excessively just, long and that's also when we got introduced to um coach andrews who was our strength and conditioning coach and that dude like (laughs) when he first showed up was just on a different level like this dude he like he was like the scariest like mofo that i have ever seen in my life (laughs) he showed up and uh he like had these very strict roles like he was there to like inflicts like discipline and so he made everyone like everyone could like wear you just had to wear like pit issued stuff into the the locker room or into the uh, lifts or whatever when he got there everyone was wearing the same exact thing if you like wore anything different you your ass would like be outside like running like doing some like stupid like just doing some stupid crap anyway uh he also like you weren't allowed to have like any jewelry, like chains or like if your ears were pierced, you like had to take them out or whatever. And I remember when he told us, he was telling us this in the meeting, like before we even had like our first day, he was like, if you got earrings and stuff, like take them out before you come into the locker room. Like we're going to be up, up near your head, like doing all kinds of stuff. Like they might get pulled off or something like that. (laughs) And I just remember everyone looking, looking around at each other, like, what are we going to be doing that? Like someone's going to be maybe pulling our ears. Like, what are you talking about? Um, so that w- was him. So our first like first like week or two of training like might have been like the hardest stuff ever because he, I guess, didn't have a gauge of like where everyone was at. So what he would do was just he made everyone every single exercise that we did. He just made us go to failure. Like we we would just have to do it <laughs> until failure, and we did that for like three four weeks straight. And like guys, like <laughs> there were guys like on the verge of like transferring quitting like it was just ridiculous so then that Did you was ever like, think about leaving um no not really um i like kind of like talked to my dad about it a little bit right when chris had left um but i was kind of just like I, I like where i'm at like i like too many other things about pit to like want to leave peters so. <laughs> yeah exactly um so that was the first four, like four weeks of the the training, um, which is just lifting and stuff. Then it's like the first week of February until pretty much until spring ball, we do what's called the fourth quarter program, which is basically um, their workouts that are like all kinds of different, like uh, change of direction, like movement type drills. Um, so it's not really lifting. It's more like, um, bag drills um 
ladders, uh, pushing sleds, like stuff like that. Um, we would do like a circuit of that at 4.30 in the morning, twice a week <laughs> for like four weeks. And then on the off days, we'd have to like do a lift and, and all of that. And so that was like extremely um, cruel. I, I don't even, I can't even think of the, of the word to describe it. Like it was, you would start out your week on a Monday um, where you would just have like a normal lift, uh, normal, um, normal film and all that stuff at like one o'clock in the afternoon. And then from then on, uh, once you like got back at like five o'clock, it was pretty much just like a do your class and then get home and eat something and then go to bed. So you have to wake up at four 30 to do that. Um, like absurd workout, you do it. Um, you'd go to class the next morning. Um, and then you'd come back and you would have to, um, uh, like usually the receivers and whatnot would get together and like throw some, you would usually end up back at the facility anyway. And so, it was literally like the whole week was like nonstop, just kind of like back and forth to the um, the facility. I'm telling you, like it got to a point by like the second week where like most guys, once we got back from the first, like the first workout at like seven o'clock in the morning, everyone was getting into bed and just not going to class. Like it was just, <laughs> it, was, it was a wrap. Like in my, in my suite at uh, Sutherland, it was me, Shauna Dawu, uh, Connor Dentino and, um, uh Steve Chewy who was a walk-on um and every day we would get back from that workout we'd be like laying in our bed someone's alarm would like go off to like go to the class and whoever like heard it first would like kind of get up take a scan around the room see if anyone <laughs> was getting up <laughs> no one else is getting up we'd turn off the alarm and we'd all just go back to sleep <laughs> and like that's legitimately what we did that whole semester. I'm telling you, like, it was, <laughs> it was pretty obviously reflected on my GPA for that semester too, because the first semester, which like it's the first semester of college, but but still, the first semester I got like a three eight. The second semester it dropped down to a two two. <laughs> like it was <laughs> hilariously bad. I had to, it's got I had cut to, in half. <laughs> yeah, I had to retake two of my classes from that semester. Um, like, it was just, it was that bad. It was that much of a culture shock. So, an athlete. Yeah, I mean. I always was, said there's too much learning in that school. Yeah, it was, I'm telling you, it was just like, by the time we had got to the end of that, like, semester, like, it just felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulder. Like, I'm telling you, like, it was ridiculous. But anyway, back to the. Uh, the position to, change the position change yeah so when Narduzzi first got there he had meetings with every single player um just to, like get to know us and stuff like that and uh so when I went in with him the like first thing that he said was he kind of just like looked at my size like oh like you should be playing safety here like something like that like it's like, just some like comment like that uh, and I kind of just brushed it off. Like I didn't know who this guy was. Like I didn't really give any thought. Um, so he said that, and then um, that was pretty much it. Didn't really hear anything about it after that. And then um, the first season, so this is 2015, um, my second year, uh, Dues' first season, 
Uh, I was playing receiver. I started at receiver in the first game because uh, T. Boyd got that uh, DUI, so he was suspended for the first game against Youngstown. <laughs> Next man up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I, I started in that game, um, and then I played, like, a pretty uh, decent role as a receiver uh, all that season. Um, and, you know, I thought, you know, everything was, like, looking up. Like, I felt pretty good. I was making good plays in practice. I was contributing on special teams. Um, when I got out there, like I was given good reps when I was out there on the field during games and stuff like that. So I felt pretty good, you know, where I was at. Um, but still, like throughout the season, Deuce like just like randomly just make these little comments like about like switching positions or playing defense and stuff like that. Um, again, I kind of just shrug it off because I just like I'm not trying to hear any of that. Um, and so then, so so then. We're going to – we're at, like, the end of that season. Um, the regular season had just ended. We had found out we were going to the uh, uh, the military bowl in Annapolis or whatever. And so we're, like, practicing and stuff. Where, um, we're, like, in the midst of, of bowl practice. And um, the way bowl practice is, is it's, like, pretty much just, like, another camp. Like, it's literally um, – from when the regular season ends until when your bowl game usually is, is like usually like three weeks or so. So it's like just three weeks of practicing and stuff. Um, so it's like kind of, again, it's like kind of another camp and those practices like get pretty, like pretty grueling. Like they're like during the season practice, maybe like hour and 50, two hours. Like those bowl practices get up to like two and a half, three hours, like long, like they're like grueling practices. And a lot of times, like, you're, you're, like, going live. You got full pads on. And, like, there's practices that suck. And so the one practice, um, another thing that we did was at a lot of – at the end of the practice, most times we would have a young guy scrimmage. So, like, all the uh, younger guys, um, backups and stuff like that would, like, get in and do some reps at the end of practice. And so I remember the one day um, we – had had one of the one of the practices was like on the much much longer end like it was just like it was a long practice and um at the time like again I said I was like pretty feeling pretty good about my role on the team like I would take um I would take all of the reps with the second team and then I would take a lot of reps with the first team when um like T-Boyd like T-Boyd was above having to, you know, practice a whole bunch. Right. So I would take a lot of those reps um, too. And so it would get to a point where like I, I, during practice, your boy was taking most of the reps of like the most reps of like most of the receivers. Um, and so we got Dudes to the had end. seen enough. <laughs> he saw a little <laughs> bit too much of you in practice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we had gotten to the end of this, like, literally, it was like a three-hour practice. And I'm drenched in sweat. Like, I'm just, like, not having a good time. They call for a young guy's scrimmage or whatever. So all the old guys, like, start taking off their pads, um, taking off their helmets, just kind of chilling on the sidelines. The young guys are, are out there just, like, getting after it. And uh, I'm, like, taking off my helmet. I'm, like, getting ready to take off my pads. And dudes calls me out to, like, the middle of the field. Whatever. So I go out there. I'm like, what the hell is this guy want? Like, can I just, I'm tired. Like, can I just like, are we good? So I, I like walk out there and he's like looking at me. He's like, we're standing behind the offense, looking at the, at the defense. 
um, of like the young guy scrimmage. And he's like looking at me and, and then looking back there. And he's like, I was like, why don't you get out there? Why don't you get out there and take a few reps? And I like kind of like laughed, like laughed a little bit, like thinking he was like joking or whatever. He's like, no, no, I'm like serious, man. Like, why don't you go out there, get, get a couple reps? Like, you know, uh, Scotty, uh, Scott McKillop, who was like the GA at the time, is back there. He's like, Scotty will get you worked in. Like, he'll, he'll show you what to do. Like, why don't you just get out there? And I like kind of just stood there, like, like speechless. Like, I, I'm like thinking in my head, like, are you out of your damn mind? Like, what the hell are you talking about? It's like, I'm not going to go out there. Like, are you, what are you talking about? Um, he, he was like, literally just looking at me like, yeah, go, <laughs> get out there. I'm like, ah, oh, shit. So I go out there like very reluctantly. Um, I go, I walk over to Scott and Scott's like, uh, what's up, man? <laughs> I'm like, uh, coach told me to get in. He's like, he, did he? I, I'm like, yeah, I guess he, he wants to see something. He's like, all right, well, we'll get you worked in. Like, good. Um, so he puts me back there. Um, at he puts me at the star at the star linebacker. I'm just like, kind of like reading the play or whatever, getting ready. Did you know the plays or like, did you know how to play that? No, position? no. I pretty much just like still be back there and was kind of just like, uh, I mean, just read that tackle and you know, the tackle blocks down, go run and make a play or. You know, it's something like that. It's like basic stuff. Um, yeah. And so I was like, I mean, all right, man, I'll give it a try. Uh, and in a moment, like the play was coming, and in a moment of just pure stupidity on my part, uh, my dumbass decided to go and make a play. <laughs> and <laughs> the second that I did that, you dudes was jumping up like fist pumping or whatever like everyone on the sidelines is like well that was easy easy made that play and everyone you know was going um and dudes was like yeah see i knew it i knew it i like got up for making the tap it was like a it was like a jet sweep and i just like blew it up or whatever i was like getting up from the tackle and i was like thinking to myself like fuck I can't that was the end of your career that was the end (laughs) of your receiver career right there yeah exactly so I like get up and then for some stupid reason I was in there for two more plays and then I made two more plays and that was all she wrote after that um and um that was that um but again it was bowl practice so he didn't like move me or anything right there I just he took me out after those three plays and he just had this like big like shit eating like grin on his face. <laughs> he was satisfied. I was like, all right, whatever. So I go to the sideline, like pretty pissed off that like after a three hour practice of like busting my ass, I had to, you know, go in and, and do that bullshit, but it was what it was. So then we played the game, was you know the game we, you know, got stomped on pretty bad by a uh, Navy. Um I was also pretty pissed about the game because there was a play where I ran a dig in the back of the end zone and was wide open and Peterman just didn't throw me the ball. And uh, like, even there was two like Navy defenders who like came up, like after the play, I was like, man, you were wide ass open. Why did they throw the ball? I was like, thinking to myself, I did. I don't know. Like, you're right. I I don't know what he's doing back there. Um, But I I was pretty pissed off because when I look back at that, like that could have saved me right there. Catching a touchdown, like in, in that game? moment, could have saved me right, right then and there. But it didn't. So that game I'm assuming ended. Assuming that led to a, 
Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I'm assuming that led to a conversation after the season. Yeah. So um, the season ended. We were getting into um, uh, it's funny is like we would have uh, every year after the season ended, dudes would talk to every single player individually. Um, and for whatever reason, he didn't mention it when I talked to him after the season. But then we got the spring ball, which was like, I want to say like the second week of March or something like that. And um, everything is going great. Like I had spent all um, like lifting and stuff with the receivers. Um, and the first two days of spring ball, I was with the receivers, like doing my thing. Um, and then just randomly on like a, it was a Saturday. It was Saturday. We were supposed to have our first scrimmage of spring ball and I remember I'm sitting in the stall like before practice, like just kind of taking a shit, kind of doing my thing before <laughs> practice. And I get a text from dudes like come up to my office. And I'm like thinking like, I'm trying to like think back to the weekend. Like, did I do something? Like the way that he texted me, like I thought I was in trouble. So I'm like trying to rack my brain, like thinking about what I did the previous weekend. Like, like, like what did he hear about? Like what's going on? Um, so when I go up into his office um, and um he like sits me down and he's got the defensive like depth chart um, up and he's pretty much just like, yeah, like showing me the depth at a star uh, at the star position. And it's pretty much, it's Jalen Williams and um, uh, Sean, um, I and, and he like, wasn't real impressed with the depth there at the time. So he's like, kind of like walking me through. He's like, he, like, and what I saw during that bowl practice and like what I think, you know, I've been doing this a long time. Like, you know, I don't really see much improvement for you, like in the receiver area, but like here, I think, you know, you could be, you know, you could be really good. And like, I think that you should, you know, really consider like doing that. And I'm like sitting there like, I mean, what am I going to say? No, like. <laughs> don't have much of a choice. Yeah. Like, all right. Like, all right, man, I'll do it. Like, it is what it is. So then he takes me um, and sticks me into the, the linebackers meeting. Um, and that's, I mean, I sit there and I'm kind of just like watching the film or whatever, trying to like, I don't have any idea what they're saying in there. Um, but uh, Coach Harley, who's the linebackers coach at the time, is pretty much like, yeah, just like, just watch what they're doing. And then I'll kind of walk you through it. Like, it's, it's a scrimmage. You're just going to go out there and, and play. And then we'll figure it out like the rest of the spring ball. So that's pretty much what what it transpired uh and it's funny too because he stuck me into the position meeting with the linebackers but Nardu's uh who's usually one for details didn't think to mention to the receivers coach that I wasn't going to be there anymore so <laughs> so we're like out in the field or whatever and I'm like I've got a different color jersey on I'm like practicing with the uh uh the linebackers and and uh coach Sherm at the time just comes over and is like Hey man, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and that's like, uh, he moved me to linebacker. He's like, oh, well, I'm glad he let me know. And then just walked away. <laughs> that's great. That, that whole story, the whole changing of the coaches and you changing position, that's gold. Um, I'm glad you could share it with us, but uh, we're running low on time here. So we do want to get to this big game this weekend. Um, you know, coming off a big emotional win, one of the bigger, wins uh recently for the program walking into you know a noon game noon kickoff potentially rainy day 
against none other than the Miami Hurricanes. Wait, what's your outlook for this game? Give us give us an outlook and a score prediction. And the Kenny Pickett prediction. Yeah, Kenny Pickett um, stat line too. That's the most important part. Yeah, you know, it's hard to say. Uh, I feel like Miami has always been one of those teams that's like between us and Miami, things never really like go the way that they're supposed to. I feel like we're always beating them when we shouldn't be beating them. Um, they're always beating us when – you know, maybe we should be the ones to, to win the game. Um, I don't know. I think this could be a dangerous game. Um, I just think, you know, I think the boys just need to really, like, buckle down and focus. Uh, I was reading something earlier this week that, you know, with um, Addison and, and Izzy being out, like, this could be a good shot for younger guys to get in, and that could, uh, you know, that could help us um, – not be let down because you know it's, it's younger guys uh trying to make a name for themselves um which i definitely think you know the more i think about that makes sense um i feel like the panthers will get it done um uh, i don't think i think it'll be probably a, a bit of an uglier type game but um i definitely think we'll get it done you know i could see it being like a you know, the Panthers not, you know, really putting up as many points as they, as they usually do. Um, you know, maybe like a, like a 24, 28 or type, type deal to like 10, something like that. Like it's not, I don't think it's going to be a pretty game to be honest with you. Do you think they'll win decisively? Game, honestly. I think they'll win, you know, they're going to put them away. I just, I think it's going to be one of those ones where you're paying, more attention to it than you really want to um, like deep into the third, fourth quarter. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. So Kenny Pickett's stat line though. Um, I mean, Kenny honestly might complete 100% of his passes on Saturday. <laughs> like just every single one of them. And he's going to throw at least 50. So it'll be a feat, nothing short of just spectacular. <laughs> and will um, you be in the gold lot early Saturday morning? I will be there. Um, I'm going to try and take it easy on Friday night, so I can be there at 8 o'clock sharp. 10.30 bed check, according to Coach Dews. <laughs> fans. Yeah, I, I mean, I have no doubt in my mind that he will have uh, Carlo Zofko, uh out knocking on people's doors in the south side trying to make sure that fans are going to sleep on time. <laughs> I could, I wouldn't put it past them. Well, I love it. Uh, Elijah, we appreciate you joining us. It's always a pleasure. We'll see you on Saturday. Um, and as always, hail to pit. Hey, hail to pit. Bypassing a field goal and it's a bootleg for Pickett. The true freshman heading to the end zone. At the pylon. Touchdown. So now I think it's time to start looking forward. Uh, the Pitt Panthers welcome the Miami Hurricanes to the North Shore this week, coming in hot off a upset victory against NC State. Uh, a little thin and a little young this year uh, in terms of you know injuries and guys being forced uh, to play that I, I think they would have rather waited on. Um, but this could still figure to be a pretty tough matchup you know Miami always has their athletes so what is your uh outlook going into the game Dylan 
So, I mean, you took the words out of my mouth. I always worry about Miami because, you know, they're going to have dudes. They're going to have South Florida guys. Um, going to be big, athletic. Um, you, know, you sound like Narduzzi right now. I, I really do. I've been listening <laughs> way too many Narduzzi press conferences. but That's not good for anybody. But at the end of the day, Pitt should win this game, right? I mean, Pitt is the better team this year. They're definitely better than Miami. Vegas seems to think so. I'm not going to write home about Miami because they pulled off an upset win over NC State. They're 3-4. and four. That's NC first... State is always NC State. They were due to drop a game that they should have. So, I mean, Tyler Van Dyke had a big game. I was kind of unnerved by that. He threw for 325 and four touchdowns. That makes me worry a little bit. Um, but at the end of the day, with... We have the better quarterback in every game we play, plain and simple. Um, this is a weird game. Going into the year is a game that we thought we might have to steal. We didn't know if we would be the better team. Then Derrick King goes down, and Van Dyke doesn't look very good when he starts out playing. So I was, at that point, not worried at all. And then seeing this last result, like you mentioned, you know, it makes you worry a little bit more. But at the same time, Miami is down a decent amount of players. Both of their safeties are out. Bubba Bolden is their best player on defense by far. He's like a Jordan Whitehead for Miami. Sort of leading tackler and a, a ball hawk kind of. Done He's out. Year, right? Yeah. So that's a big loss. And I think they're down a running back or two. Knight and the guy who is the current running back is still a good player. So they're down some guys. I'm sure the guys they have coming in were highly recruited and Good players, so I don't expect to walk all over them. But like Dylan said, we are the better team. Yeah, but you know the better team doesn't always win every football game. Um, I think at this point, one of us needs to say uh, this feels like a game Pitt loses during every episode, uh, just for like good luck, you know, as a reverse jinx, not dissimilar from. <clears throat> Every Star Wars movie, someone has to say, may the force be with you. That can just kind of be our thing to make sure, you know, we have all of our bases covered. Never seen Star Wars. Keep going. What did you do with your youth? Watch pit football. Basketball. Yes. Don't worry about it. Keep Who going. Who needs Luke Skywalker? It actually, it, it works because Pitt is college football's death star. Who needs Luke Skywalker when you had a Brandon Knight? Okay, do I need to say it? This feels like a game pit was. Coming off a big win, emotional win, big biggest win in several years for the program. Three and four Miami comes in. Rainy Saturday on the North Shore. Rainy Miami with a, a young, talented quarterback that we don't know anything about. The game that haunts me the most is that Boston College game at home. Whenever Pitt had a chance to just add one more "quote unquote" easy win to their win total and go to a better bowl game, we blew it. Didn't make any sense. Boston College was a backup quarterback. They were very mediocre that year. We should have handled business, and they pushed us around. That game will always stick with me. But we were a better team all around. I think we have the advantage against Miami in all phases. They might have like a better punter. I think their punter is just like some tattered up dude. But Those besides, Australians, man. Yeah. But besides the point, I think we have a much better defense and we have Kenny Pickett. And I, I like the 
I think, overall attitude that Pickett being the, I mean, unquestioned leader of the team, I, I think he, I think he's going to get in front of the team early and let them know they can't overlook the team. He said, like we said, he said after the Clemson game, you know, that game doesn't mean anything if you don't take care of business. So I think their heads will be in the right places. I just worry. It, it, you know, they're, they're college kids. They can always yeah. come out and a couple plays, ball yeah. bounces the wrong way, they go down early. But, um, you know, I, I'm i nervous about every pick game. There's no there's, – you're never going to have me feeling confident going into a game. Are you more nervous knowing that Izzy and Addison might not play? Dumb question. Yes, you are, but how nervous? I'm a lot more worried about Jordan Addison being out. Um, you know, I would love to have Izzy in this game, especially if it rains and we think we're going to have to run the ball. But I am, if nothing else, selfishly excited about seeing Rodney Hammond maybe get a little more playing time and see what happens there. Right. And see if he can really break out. Um, whereas Addison, I, I just don't think we can replace his production or the attention he gets from opposing defenses. I mean, he's a strategic nightmare f- for any defensive coordinator that comes into Pittsburgh. Um, and we have more, this is the best receiving core that we have had in years by a significant margin. I mean, we were because of him. Yeah, and we were just listing names of dudes earlier today who could potentially step up, and we were getting like five or six deep. Stovall's not a bad player. Taysier Mack, I mean, he's taken over a few games this year, had 100 yards against Tennessee, atoned for a couple drops against Virginia Tech by getting wide-ass open against Clemson for that touchdown. Uh, Kroll, Bartholomew, because we have two tight ends that are good now. I mean, there's, there's guys in Shockey Jacques-Louis, still on the roster. Trey Tipton, still on the roster. Barden, Wayne. Yeah, I, I was going to bring up Shockey because Shockey's best game of his pit career came in that Thursday night game a couple years ago, the double OT game against UNC on a Thursday night. Funny enough, Maurice French, Pitt's leading receiver at the time, was out with an injury that game. And Shockey ah. stepped up and had definitely the best – the most impactful game he's had as a Panther. So, can he be that guy again this week? Once again, we don't even know if Addison's out 100% just yet. Uh, but Narduzzi did not sound too hopeful in his press conference about Izzy or Addison playing this I'm week. I'm going to use this time to talk about how I would go to war with Jared Wayne. The guy's a soldier. <laughs> yeah. He'd be in my foxhole seven days. He catches eight. the ball. He puts his head down and goes north and south. And there's a play on a cross fumble. There are like four Clemson dudes all around the ball. He dove in their head first after it. He's a hell of a teammate, hell of a player. Honestly, Trey Tipton, too. For as much shit as he's caught in the last seven years, not an exaggeration, literally seven years, uh, playing for Pitt and all the balls he's dropped, that guy is a teammate. That guy is is a hustler. I mean, he's carved out his role. He's, he's a leader, an emotional leader. He's a great teammate. And... Pretty good gunner on punt team. Yeah. That had, had a couple big plays, including last week. Down that ball at the one. I mean, I, I'd, li- I'd like to see him go out there and catch a few passes. Absolutely. So so there there is talent behind Addison, but you simply cannot replace the production of the NCAA's leader in touchdown receptions. And so that, that worries me going into this week. I'm worried about that. But another point where I'm worried... Uh, and I was thinking about this, and it, it kind of shocked me out of my stupor during work. 
Pitt has not started games well this year from an offensive perspective. We have like the worst scripted first three plays of any superbly dominant offense in the NCAA. When's the last time we scored on an opening drive? Anyone? New Hampshire, probably. Maybe. And sometimes we don't come out firing on the second drive either. We took a little bit of time against Virginia Tech and against Clemson. Even against Georgia Tech, I remember. I'm worried that this is the game that that comes back to bite us. Miami's always going to have one or two guys that are just lightning in a bottle. If they if they bust a long one early and Pitt does the thing where they don't really get the ball rolling or even really look like they have started to try until their third possession when they finally let Kenny air it out a little bit, we could be in trouble. Maybe maybe it's not against Miami. Maybe that's not this isn't the week that happens, but that is something I'm afraid of in the future that we could find ourselves down 14 nothing, you know, getting the ball for the third time and we're in a hole. That worried me a little bit against Clemson. It took us a while to get the wheels turning. We were like a big old plane on the runway. It took us a little bit to get going, but once we got going, we looked good. But Kenny Pickett did something interesting after the game. They talked about the slow start. And he said how he was uh, just taking what the defense gave him. He wasn't trying to make any mistakes early, give him any momentum, give him any already better field position than he already had. So it was more just feeling out the defense, see what they're giving us. And then from there, it seems like they made some great adjustments, took advantage of what they saw. And then once they got going, they couldn't be stopped. Once this offense gets in rhythm, they look really good. The amount of long drives that this offense puts together is really impressive. So for that reason, yes, slow starts are worrying. We were almost down 14 to nothing at home against Clemson. Thankfully we weren't. But even if that does happen, I think this offense has the firepower to flip the switch and get back into it. Yeah, especially facing uh, a Miami defense that, as we've mentioned, is down their two starting safeties and their leading tackler. Not to harp on the Addison production, but take this stat into consideration. Jordan Addison has 10 receiving touchdowns this year, leader in the FBS. The rest of Pitt's receiving core has seven combined. Only one other guy has more than one receiving touchdown. That's Tazier Mack. He has three of them. Jared Wayne, Jalen Barden, Shockey Jacques Lee, and Malquis Stovall all have one apiece. The last time I checked, Lucas Kroll is still going to be on the field against Miami. And, and that's the thing. Kroll has five. Uh, Bartholomew has one. Running backs have a couple. Um, have chipped in. Actually, just Daniel Carter. This will be a really big game for Jalen Barden. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Can just pause one second. Did you just say that Daniel Carter is the only pit running back this year with a receiving touchdown? That is correct. Huh. Well, wait, you didn't take Daniel Carter over half a receiving touchdown of the year? That was free money. I definitely didn't take uh, Izzy, Vincent Davis, and Rodney Hammond, and, you know, whoever else we thought was going to play this year uh, under half a touchdown combined halfway through the year. I'm sorry, John, continue what you are saying. I just, wow, okay. I was going to say something about how this is a big week for Jalen Barden. I think a lot of people had some really high hopes for him coming into the year because he showed flashes last year. 
and he hasn't really shown too much this year. He had some drops in the past couple of weeks. So I would love to see him get some more playing time if Addison is out of step up for the plate because I think he is a guy who could be good for us, and I prefer him to be really good sooner rather than later. So I like that pick. I like um, I love Barton. He's a super athlete. Mm-hmm. He's been a big play guy for us this year, averaging a little over 19 yards a catch uh, on the season. And remember, he had a big game against Virginia Tech last year uh, near the end of the season when Pitt's offense really broke out. Um, and I remember thinking that game, you know, this seems like a guy who should have been playing more all season. So I'd like to see Barton uh, get a few more reps and see if he can make some plays. And he seems like a similar player to Jordan Addison. He can, he's fast, so he can hit him short. He can run after the catch, make some guys miss. And he also has that burner speed. So, you know, there'll probably be at least one shot to him deep on a post route over the middle. If Addison's out, I'm sure he'll step into that role nicely. On the bright side, I'm pretty sure after the game in his press conference, Narduzzi said that he thought that Izzy would be good to go. I don't know what he was basing that off of. He didn't seem worried about Izzy. I forget his exact wording, but he said that he feels pretty good about his chances of playing next week. However, that could have been just him being a football coach and knowing nothing about how concussions work. And maybe over the next day and a half, the people who are paid – to know about those things, told him otherwise, and it'll be a game time decision. But he actually talked at length about that today. Yeah. Uh, you know the trust he has in the team doctors and how uh, you know little he involves himself with that process. Um, I do hope they look out for the player's safety, of course. But I'd also really like for two and three to be out there on Saturday. That would be uh, the best case Ontario from my perspective. Close second best case scenarios, they don't play, and we still hang like 38 points on this Miami defense. Like, we don't miss a beat. It doesn't matter who's out there. You know, we are, we are, we're running out of nice things to say about Kenny Pickett. And if, I mean, he can get himself on the front page of ESPN again with, you know. Maybe us three can suit up for Pitt this week and he'll still throw for like. 295. He might not get 300 with us three out there, but he could get close to it. I'm just saying the narrative that Kenny Pickett showed up without his two biggest weapons and still showed out, that's that's good for the Heisman conversation. It's all about narratives. It's a media award. I do want to talk about the defense real quick. Uh, giving a lot of attention to the offense, but the defense. According to Jim Hammett, Shout out to Jim. Seven of Pitt's 11 starters on defense played high school football in the state of Florida. Miami only offered one of those guys, and that was Keyshawn Camp during the recruiting process. It's, it's going to be personal for a lot of these Florida kids who didn't get an offer from you know one of the big-time schools in the state. I'm excited to see how that plays out. Hopefully a lot of reckless abandon uh, from, that, from that Panther defense. All right, so enough beating around the bush. Score predictions. What are you guys thinking this week? We we sounded negative at first, but I have a feeling I know what direction this is gonna go in. We're gonna be able to score. I, I don't I don't care if two and three play or not. I think they're gonna be able to score with Kenny Pickett at the helm. Give me a thirty-eight to seventeen win. The Panthers roll on Halloween weekend. It's gonna get real scary for the Hurricanes. I'm gonna go Pitt thirty-five. 
I am a 23. 42-24. I think Miami uh, is able to get a couple explosive plays. They have the athletes. We have a boomer bust defense, high risk, high reward. But at the end of the day, I think Kenny reminds us of the offense's explosiveness after a few games of more conservative play calling. Uh, he's going to put up some video game numbers, and I don't think he needs his all-world receiver to do it. I love it. I love it. Thank you for tuning in to the Loyal Sons podcast, presented by Cable Faithful. That's at Cable Faithful on Twitter. Follow us there. Subscribe to us here anywhere you listen to your podcast. We'll see you this Saturday on the North Shore as the Pittsburgh Panthers take on the Miami Hurricanes. We'll be in Gold Lot 1B at 7 a.m. sharp tailgating. Come by and join us for a beer or two or seven. Halloween weekend. It's going to get real scary for the Miami Hurricanes. We'll see you all on Saturday. And as always, hail Royal Sons of Pittsburgh. Please win. Please. Please just win. Please. 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 Please.